Today on Soul Zero Two, we're going to be talking about God's grand design and how Israel is pivotal to it on Soul Zero Two. And welcome to Soul Zero Two. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. And today I want to share with you just briefly God's grand design revealing Israel's significance. And there are so many views about Israel today. And why is Israel throughout all history such a lightning rod, such a flashpoint for either love or, or hatred? And around five years ago, I had a dream. Usually when God speaks to me, of course, we know he speaks through his word, but he also speaks prophetically, right? He speaks through dreams and sometimes uh, you might see a sign or hear a wonder or, you know, hear a voice, his voice. And uh, I had a dream and usually God speaks to me through dreams. And I dreamt that I was in a large theater and it was a, almost like a college campus type venue. And there was a like really uh, intense debating with radical Muslims, you know, versus Christianity kind of thing. It was, it was a dream like that, right? And it was very confrontational, the dream. And I woke up feeling like, like a confrontation was coming. And when I say confrontation, I don't mean Christians versus Muslims. I don't mean that kind of confrontation. I mean the gospel of Jesus. I mean who Jesus is, you know, when, when he says, I am Lord, that's what I mean. So that was five years ago. And just recently, I was at a university where we brought a friend who um, was a former Muslim and she became a believer in Christ and she she talked about Jesus and towards the end of the her talk there was a confrontation and I said this is my dream you know and you know thankfully everything was fine everything was okay um, but here's the point that when Jesus says he is Lord you know as N.T. Wright says it means that Caesar is not it means that no other religion is Lord that nobody else is Lord because there's only one way and so we find that in the scriptures, in the scriptures, uh, the Lord is always showing this this idea that He's in charge and we're not. And I say that to say this: that Israel is pivotal to God's story. And I'll say it again: Israel is pivotal to God's story. And in this story, we find that that since the beginning of creation, Israel has always been at the center of God's plan. And God has never abandoned Israel. In fact, the story of the Bible is the story of Israel. And we find that, uh, again, I'm going to quote N.T. right here. He said, I assume for many years, and many assume with me, that the only real point of it all was for people to believe in this Jesus so that they would be saved and go to heaven. When they died. He contends with that idea though when he says the early Christians did not focus much attention on the question of what happened to people immediately after they died. In fact, what they focused on was the kingdom of God which was something that was happening and would ultimately happen completely on earth as it is in heaven. So what mattered was to them was ultimately the restoration of all creation. That's why you find in more than one scripture in the New Testament uh, people like Ananias and others saying they were waiting for, for the kingdom to come, you know, the fulfillment of the kingdom. And th this was their mindset. And this should be our mindset when we see these wars happening in the world, when we see Israel uh, going after Hamas. Uh, when we see these things, we should think God's kingdom is coming one way or another, not 
because Israel is going to win a war, but because he, God shakes the world and he, and he brings his purposes in, in the right time. We also find in the scriptures that Abraham, in Genesis uh, 22, 18, it says, your orf, by your offspring shall all nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves because you have obeyed my voice. This is a, a promise God gave to Abraham. That's why all, all followers of Jesus are children of Abraham in every way. Uh, we have just as right to, to be called Israelites as Jews do because we, we are, you know, we are also Jews because we belong to, to Jesus, right? So I say that to say that, that the Jews are God's people and he has never forsaken them. And he, he has called them out and called them to be his own. And the Jews in the scriptures, uh, there, there's a scripture that says that the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. With me, you are but aliens and tenants. He's saying this to the Jews, that, that he owns the land. The land belongs to God. And since he owns the land, it means that, that he's going to protect what belongs to him. And so the Jews steward the land, but God owns the land. And at the eschaton, I'm, I'm kind of flying through this today, but at the eschaton, which is the, which means this, the, the divinely uh, ordained climax of history, where God, God's rule is established over the world, and all wrongs are set to right. And that's what the eschaton is. It's the end of all things where God shows up and says, I'm here and now I'm going to I'm going to bring final justice to all things. I'm going to bring final mercy to all things. And I said that to say that at, at the eschaton, when Jesus comes, he's going to make it right. Zechariah 14, 4, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. This is a promise of God. And so today I just I'm, and I'm, I'm sharing that I shared this yesterday at our church and I, I usually do separate podcasts when I when I when I talk online um, from my Sunday mornings, but I felt like since this is the season to talk about uh, Israel and what what is happening, you know, God has a plan here, right? He has a plan on this side, and then Satan has a plan on this side, and and these two plans never agree. But we find that at the eschaton, when Jesus returns, all things will, will be made right. But even as God has a plan for His people there's also a demonic strategy at work in the world. And there's a scripture in Genesis 6.11 that says that the earth was ruined in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. And this struck me when I was, uh, I was praying with a rabbi friend of mine at his congregation. We went to their prayer meeting and the first words out of my friend's mouth is, is he said this, he said the word Hamas, which in, in the scriptures, you know, is violence, right? I, I read you that scripture in Genesis because it talks about violence. The word Hamas literally means violence. And so when it says the earth was filled with violence in, 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 in that Genesis scripture that I read to you, the word violence is Hamas. And I find that very interesting because, because of what is happening in the world today. And there's there's a demonic strategy that that is happening in the world, and I heard two years ago a prophetic voice, which I'm very careful who I listen to because there's so many you know people that are just 
they have no accountability online and they just say whatever they want and no one holds them accountable. But this person that I heard was a person who's, who's accountable to a body of, you know, some kind of body of believers somewhere, of leaders, and very responsible in my opinion. And he basically said, God is aligning in the nations. And two years ago, when you hear that, you're like, what does that mean? You know, it sounds kind of grand. Well, what does it really mean? Well, you look at what's happening today. Uh, uh, geopolitical expert Fred Markert said, the Ukraine war is about Russia draining U.S. resources, right? It's to access, it's to assess the response of the West, of you know, of what's happening, and to deplete the West of resources. Then the Hamas war is about Iran derailing peace talks between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And this is what the, the geopolitical experts are saying, some of them. And they're believers. These are followers of Jesus. And so think about it. The two greatest powers in the Middle East are Saudi Arabia and Israel. And they were just within a month of signing a peace accord, and now it's the whole thing is derailed. So the first one drains the West of resources, the second one derails any kind of peace talks that might bring further unity. And and then the third one, you know, the uh, the third leg of, of of this strategy will be Taiwan, where where 90% of, of advanced microchips are made, and how that would affect the West if, if something would happen there. And I say that not to bring fear, because this is not about our bottom line of, of happiness. When the world shakes, we just have to be ready. We have to be make sure that we're right with God and that we're serving Him. But I say that to, to say that God is doing something in all of this. Thank God. And But what is He doing in all of this? The first thing I believe He's doing is He, he is judging the West for its depravity. Think about the West that was once considered a Christian nation, Christian nations. Now, you know, I, a, a Muslim friend of mine, or a former Muslim friend of mine, who was very, very dedicated, knows the Quran, and and loves other Muslims and reaches out to them and says, "Look, you know, uh, we know that there's not all Muslims are radical. You know, there are moderates and there are those who are committed to their faith and all this." But she said, she said this to me. She said that that the way the average Muslim looks at the West is they see Hollywood and they see the, the debauchery and all the, the evil things that happen. And she said, well, that's, that's a Christian nation. That's, that's Christian. And so their idea of what Christian is, 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 not, is not clear because the Western countries have not given them a reason. And, and uh, someone put it this way, you know, people look at the West and say, hey, they butcher their babies and change their sex by chopping off organs and things like that. Is this, is this the kind of world you want? And so this is how we're perceived. And, and in their minds, well, this is what a Christian is. They're depraved. They're messed up. They, they, they do all this immorality and, and they want the world to accept it. And so I believe God is judging the West for its depravity, for, for what is happening in the world. But also, I also believe this, that um, God is, is he's getting his people's attention he is awakening the church, and he's awakening the Jew who doesn't know him uh, and, and is looking for Messiah. And he's getting his people's attention. And the people who have a Judeo-Christian background, but maybe are not where they should be, God is waking them up and saying, stop calling yourself Christian if you don't follow Jesus. Because it's one thing to be a Christian politically and to be identified as a national Christian, but what does that mean if you don't know Jesus? 
And that's, that's what it means in Revelation uh, 9, 19, 17, where it says, Behold the bride who has made herself ready. Right, The Lord pre is preparing the bride. He's preparing us. So what can the church do in all this? What, what can the church do in this season? And I'm, I'm going to you know, bring this in for a landing here. Um, the church can pray and fast. This is the first one. Pray and fast to push back the darkness. And when I say push back the darkness, I don't mean our way of life, our bottom line American idea of, of what an ideal nation is. And, you know, just for a certain culture or a certain race, I don't mean that. I mean demonic darkness that is trying to envelop the world. And so, so that means we got to pray for everybody, not just the West. We have to pray for everyone in the Middle East and everyone in Asia, everywhere where this darkness will affect. And this is not about my bottom line or my happiness or my American dream, but about God's agenda for the world. Because the gospel will, will become impaired unless the church gets its act together in general and begins really standing as a witness to Jesus. So with that, we, we pray the most courageous prayer you can pray when you say, Lord, let your kingdom come. That is not an idle prayer. That is a dangerous prayer because it threatens our daily agenda. It threatens what I want, my joy, my dreams, my happiness. Because when God begins to move, it does not guarantee that I'm going to be happy or that I'm going to, that I'm going to be totally, you know, um, uh, fulfilled maybe even. Even though I, I believe we will be fulfilled if we follow His will because He always puts passions in us that He wants to fulfill. But it doesn't guarantee that, that my idealized view of the world is going to happen. And... His kingdom coming does not really mean that, that my world will be perfect, but it does guarantee this, that I will be fruitful in that season if I obey Him. But also, I want to add this piece to it. Remember that the church, the church's calling is redemption. That's, that's our calling, redemption. We are called to redeem and not to, to uh, curse our enemies. And I have to admit to you that when I, when I saw... The, the brutality of what happened online, you know, or on, you know, in the news. And, and um, I was very upset. And I said, Lord, I can't pray for those evil people. But after a while, I realized Jesus w was very clear when he said, pray for your enemies. So we pray for our enemies, right? And the Palestinians are not our enemies. There are, there are Jews and Palestinians who are there. And there are even Jews and Palestinians who love Jesus. Uh, th there, are, there are churches in Lebanon and churches in Palestine. So we have to remember that. And this is bringing great suffering on everybody. So we have to pray for everyone that Christ will redeem the situation. Both sides have innocent people who are hurting right now. Israel, Palestine, and Lebanon are hurting right now. And even though there's evil coming out of them, there's, there's also good people. And I heard a leader say recently that the majority of people in Gaza are not with Hamas. And this is a, a pastor in Gaza who, who has started many churches there. But I want to leave you with this. Be prepared for our world to radically change. What do I mean by that? Jesus said, repent and believe the kingdom. What does that mean? Does it mean fall on your face and start saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins, say the sinner's prayer? That does not mean that. It means change the way that you think about how God saves and, and how justice works. In our Hollywood in our Hollywoodized view of the world, we want instant justice. We want Israel to get the bad guys and no one, no one's going to be hurt and everyone's happy at the end of the day. That doesn't happen. War is dirty. It's awful. 
It's ugly, and people get hurt. That's why we continue to pray covering and protection for the Palestinians. But we also pray for the Jews, that many will come to Christ through this, and that God will further protect them. But we have to be prepared for our lives to change through this. That the way we've been thinking about what church is and, and what online is, all that, it has to change. There's been so much compromise and Christians that call themselves Christians who don't really know Jesus. They just do what they want to do and they go to church once a month or their idea of church is online church. If they even do that and, and they barely watch it and, and their heart's not in it, their heart is into themselves. That must change if you're going to survive this season because I believe it's going to get worse before it gets better before his kingdom comes in its fullness. So business as usual will not work anymore. This will require that we radically change the way we think about God, about church, about relationships, about being committed to a body where we grow. And I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave you with a scripture in Jeremiah 45, the story of Baruch, where he had been kind of complaining to God and he's worrying about his own life and career and his own hopes and uh, the world was shaking and everything was happening in, in, in a very uh, crazy way and and the world was shaking and and I won't read the scripture to you because it's it's five verses but I'll just tell you a story it's only five verses Jeremiah 45 1 through 5 shortest chapter in the book and basically he's complaining to God and God gives Jeremiah a word and in this word God says and I'll, I'll put it up for you you can read it for yourself but uh God says in verse 2, O Baruch, you said, woe, woe is me, the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I'm weary with my groaning and I find no rest. So he's kind of really focused on his problems, even though the world is, is being destroyed around him. And he says, thus you shall say to him, he's speaking to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, I'm going to break down what I have built and pluck up what I have planted. That is the whole land. And you, do you seek great things for yourself? Do you seek them? For I am going to bring disaster upon all flesh, says the Lord. I will give you your life as a prize of war in every place to which you may go. So how's that for a promise from God? Not riches and abundance and total peace for the rest of his life. But he says, hey, basically, be glad you're going to survive what's coming. And this, I believe, is a word to many Christians today that this is not the time to worry about how I'm feeling about things, even though, hey, God God sees his eyes on the sparrow, he sees our struggle, but it's not a time to fixate on ourselves. It's a time to, to look at God's agenda for the world and what he is doing in the world. And, and be encouraged, but be challenged that this is the season where God wants you to grow up in him and, and to be strong in him. So if you like this podcast, please leave a like and subscribe to it and recommend it to somebody, you know, share this with somebody. And check us out. We are on YouTube, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and more. And until next time, thank you so much for being with me, and God bless you.